0: Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Hey guys, it's Lana, and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. To all those who celebrate, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I hope you ate some great food. No matter what you did, I hope you were able to just... Take a minute and pause and enjoy and be happy that it's the holiday season. And hopefully you guys are on vacation or taking a day off or the whole week off and get to, you know, just sit back and have some time to yourself, have some time to binge Emily in Paris. I'm recording this a few days ahead, but I really hope that by the time this episode comes out, I have finished all of Emily in Paris. I have not yet started it and I feel like I am failing myself for that. So I'm very excited to watch. I know it's going to be just as bad and good as I want it to be. That seems to be the theme of what I'm seeing and I know it won't disappoint. So I'm very excited to do that. Um, My Christmas and holiday weekend plans, I am spending the weekend at, or I did now spend the weekend at Jake's parents' house in Westchester. Um, I love when we get to go there because Barkley gets to run around and there's people and it's just nice being out of the apartment and, you know, getting to walk around the neighborhood. I definitely miss that when I'm in the city. So just really happy to be in the burbs for a bit. And every year I go to Christina's family's Christmas dinner. I've been doing that for like 10 years now and it's just such a special way to end the year and I love it. And I eat so much food there. Her family is like, Oh, just the best Italian grandmother recipes ever. And it's so special to me to be a part of that. And so really excited for that. And yeah, I did not really take off this week, which I feel like is bad Alana, bad, bad Alana, bad self boss and self-employment toxic culture. But um I'm definitely not in as many meetings as usual because most other people are off. So I have a few recordings and I definitely have set aside some time to do some heads down creative work that I've wanted to do for a while in just goal setting for the new year and prepping some stuff that I have been wanting to do for a while and work on. So excited. I really love when I can just work and not, I don't want to say not be bothered by other people I'm working with because it's obviously not a bother. Like I literally, I pay my bills because brands want to work with me. So I love having those conversations and, um, all that, but it is really nice to be working when nobody else is so that I can just get work done. I started doing that on Sundays because um, Jake's always out with friends watching football and everybody else is just living their lives. And I feel like I found that Sundays have become my favorite work day of the week because I can actually just work. And I know that nobody's going to text me or email me or call me for something that I owe them or something that they want to work on together. And so it's just been really nice to have time like that. So I'm excited for this week to just have some time to relax and be creative and get work done. I cannot believe it's new year's. Oh, that brings me to new year's. Oh my God, guys. I fucking hate new year's. It's like the most hyped up overrated night ever. And I just want to say for anyone who like is stressed about it or doesn't have new year's plans and feels lame because of that, like, no, don't, don't feel lame. Honestly, feel empowered and feel proud of yourself because you're just avoiding spending so much money to go to a place you would usually go to and not spend that much money for an overhyped night that is ultimately going to disappoint. I can't tell you guys how many disappointing New Year's I've had. And those have all been the ones where, you know, I've been so stressed and anxious about it for months leading up to it where it's like, oh my God, I need a New Year's plan. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I've literally booked like last minute $700 flights to Miami to have a plan for New Year's instead of sitting here not doing anything. And Like, has that been fun? Honestly, no. The last two years have been my favorite New Year's. Um, this past year I was in Florida with my parents and said just moved there. It was my first time visiting the new house and the new neighborhood and getting used to calling that a home of some form. And I literally I went, um, my cousin John and his now fiance Angie had just gotten engaged uh, a few days prior. So they had some people over. I went for like two hours. It was great. And then I went home, got home by nine, and was in bed asleep by 10. And that was my New Year's. And I woke up and it was January 1st and I was not hungover. I was not exhausted. I didn't do anything I regretted. I didn't spend all my money and it felt great. The year before that, I went with my friend from college, Liza, and her sister to a little house in Vermont. And we just went for that one night and we played some games. We, I think, cooked some food. We drank some wine and that was it. We, again... We are in bed before 11. I think we had just like watched some movies and we went to bed early and we woke up and it was a new year and we were relaxed and rejuvenated and it was nice and we drove back. I really wholeheartedly hate New Year's and I just hate how much stress it causes people for no reason. And so to anyone who is not doing anything this New Year's, I am proud of you and I'm excited for you. And if it's your first New Year's not doing anything, Trust me, it is the best decision and you will be really glad with that. Like figure out a great movie you want to watch or buy a coloring book or pick out a recipe that you're excited to make or a new cocktail you're going to make and just enjoy that and enjoy being low pressure and chill. And hopefully you can, you know, find a friend to do it with. And if not, then just embrace like being on your own. And there's so much empowerment to that. So um, this new year is, I actually didn't come up with a plan until a few days ago. And by plan, I mean like, either not plan or doing something or not, basically. Um, Jake just started a new job. So we weren't sure if he was going to have off for new year's. So we weren't even sure if we were going to do anything. And so what we're ending up doing is Jesse, my old roommate and her fiance blaze, my other old roommate, uh, they are just going to have a few friends over to their apartment, which is my old apartment. And it's, uh, 30 block walk or 10 minute drive or bus ride or subway. Um, and we're just going to go over for a few hours. Can't leave Barkley alone for too long and their building doesn't allow dogs. So we can't bring him. So we're probably just going to go from like nine 30 to 1230. Don't even know if we're going to stay past midnight. Um, just going to have some, have some food, have some drinks, super casual and chill and low key. And it's the perfect plan because low pressure, low key, low price point and home early, and convenient. That's the literal worst thing is like trying to get an Uber or a taxi after midnight on New Year's. It's like the most jacked up prices in the world. And again, like you're probably sitting there in disappointment of a night that you had hyped up or that was like supposed to be the best night ever and just wasn't. So yeah, that's my New Year's plan. And then just getting right back to it. It's weird that January 1st is a Monday, right? Is that right? January 1st no, January 1st is a Sunday. January 2nd is Monday. So it's like, damn, right back into the work here. Um, but it's okay. It's going to be great, you guys. I'm really proud of all of you, truly. Like seeing, you know, how far seeing other people has come this year, seeing how far all of you have come, seeing you guys celebrate your dating wins. I want to, again, call out some dating wins from this past week because I think that's just something that we're going to need to do in every intro. And I am endlessly proud of you guys as always. And thank you for submitting those wins. Thank you for sharing your wins with me. Again, your wins are my wins. My wins are your wins. It's how it works in the fam here. So a few wins. I just want to call out to the person who said they had their first date in New York City and second date in Paris because you're both traveling and met midway. That is so cool and the start of a rom-com and I hope you keep us updated. To the person who said, decided to put myself back out there for the first time in a while. Welcome back. I'm so glad you took time off and that you feel excited about getting back out there and I am excited for you. Um somebody said we did a date night about our goals for the next 3 months on our 3 month anniversary. That is beautiful and that shows me that you are in a healthy relationship with a partner who respects you, who you respect, who you both equally value like open communication. I think that is so incredible and something that I hope other people listen to and, and are like, Oh, I should do that in my current relationship, my next relationship, because I think that is so huge. And it's really important to have those check-ins and to take that time to make sure you're both doing well and and set goals and figure out where do we want to be both together as a couple and individually in the next three months. I love that happy three month anniversary. Um, somebody said I have a boyfriend and he met my parents, Okay. Exciting. I don't even know which is more exciting, but it also, by the number of exclamation points you use, sounds like it went really well. And so I am so excited for you. Somebody said, I was honest about what I wanted and I felt so brave. That is so brave and it's really scary and really vulnerable to do, but it absolutely pays off every single time. So I'm really proud of you for doing that. Someone said, I'm taking a break to focus on myself and reset. So when I'm ready to date again, I'll be in a better headspace you guys trust me, breaks are the best thing that you can do for yourself in dating. And when you feel stuck and when you feel, you know, like beaten down by the dating world, because it will beat you down. And the best thing you can do for yourself is take a break and take time away. And you'll know when it's time, just like the first win that was that I read, you'll know when it's time to get back out there and you'll feel rejuvenated. You'll feel re- excited about it. And last one, somebody said, i mingled and met new people out of my comfort zone at a party. That is the energy I want us all to take into 2023. Getting out there in real life and introducing yourself to people, saying hi, asking what they're drinking, asking where their shirt is from or complimenting their shoes, just whatever you can do to start a conversation. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, we're all used to staring at our phones, but there is so much beauty in making a human connection in real life and i know you guys all want that so badly like literally the number one question i get asked is alana how can i meet people in real life alana how can i meet people off dating apps and you guys it just takes a little bit of courage that's all it takes it just takes putting yourself out there in the position to meet other people and going for it. And so I really hope that we can all do a little more of that myself included, you know, there's more of that I need to be doing too. I'm just as afraid of it as you guys are. So I hope we can all take that into 2023. Today's episode I am super excited about. We have Fatima Jivanji Shakir on the podcast today. And I can't wait for you guys to get to know her and to hear everything that she has to say. Fatima is a South Asian therapist and she and I are going to discuss the nuances of South Asian dating culture, which some of it is very similar to what we experience, And a lot of it is very different. And I think it's really important to learn about those differences and learn what other people are experiencing. So we discussed how there is so much shame and secrecy around dating in South Asian culture because people are expected to not date in their teenage years but then instantly get married in their early 20s. So that is a huge thing. And obviously we can all relate to, you know, feeling shameful or feeling like we have to be secretive in some aspect of our dating lives and some aspect of our relationships and our journeys throughout since when we started dating or even just learning about romance when we were growing up. So it's a really important topic to talk about. We also discuss the intersection of food and body image with dating and relationships, which I know so many of us can relate to struggles with that. And um, Fatima shares advice on how to become more confident in your own skin and how to identify your own values so that you can live a life that feels right for you and not for anyone else. And I think that is so important because we feel so much pressure from so many different people, so many different expectations that society has for us to be a certain way, date a certain way, look a certain way, feel a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way. And all that matters at the end of the day is that we're doing what feels right for us. And so I am so excited for this episode. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Before we get into it, I want to take a moment to say, you guys, we made it to the end of the year. And I don't know about you, but I have been reflecting a lot on what I've done this year and what I want for myself for next year. And I feel like I've drawn the conclusion that I'm pretty much down for anything, as long as I know that I don't have to go out of my way for it. I'm going to have a great time, and whatever I'm doing is safe, legal, and comfortable. And that is why I love Jackpocket. Jackpocket is the app that lets you play official state lottery games right on your phone. Their mission is literally to create a more convenient, fun, and responsible way to play the lottery. So basically, all three of my favorite things. The Jackpocket app gives players an easy, secure way to order official state lottery tickets like Powerball, Mega Millions, and New York Lotto. And by helping today's players participate in the lottery, Jackpocket also helps state lotteries drive incremental revenue to fund essential state programs such as education, veteran services, natural resources, and more, which means that you're actually making a positive difference when you use Jackpocket. So let's go out with a bang to end this year and get a jumpstart on an incredible 2023. Get a free lottery ticket when you try Jackpocket. Jackpocket. Download the JackPocket app and use code PEOPLE at checkout to get your first lottery ticket free. Must be 18 or older to play. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants to help, call 1-800-GAMBLER and please visit jackpocket.com slash TOS for full terms of service. Let's get into the episode. And we are here with the wonderful Fatima Javanji Shakir. Fatima, welcome to seeing other people. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you, Alana. I am so excited to have you, and I was really excited when you reached out. You know, there are sometimes when people reach out to come on seeing other people, and I immediately am like, "Wow, this would be a topic that I have not explored and absolutely should be talking about, and probably doesn't get talked about enough." So I'm really grateful that you know you went for it and and that I I got you on. So thank you.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having this platform. You know, I think dating and relationships can be so challenging and there's so many nuances to it. And you offering a platform for people to share their stories, to feel a sense of connection is incredibly important. So thank you for
0: doing what you do. Thank you. I feel really grateful to, you know, have this platform and and have people who care to listen. (laughs) So I'm like, as much as I can, you know, spread the good Good love and, and help people through that. That's what I'm here to do. So I just want to kind of start by getting a sense of your background. And I'm really curious, like what led you to want to become a therapist specializing specifically in South Asian mental health?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I identify as South Asian myself. Um, I grew up here in the US. Um, and I often felt growing up like there were a lot of cultural nuances to my experiences that my peers didn't always understand um, and other adults in my life also didn't understand. Um, it was really difficult to have open and safe relationships with adults in my life, um, with adults who were within my culture. So for example, parents, family members, um, I was worried that the things I was thinking or the things that I were doing Um, would be culturally frowned down upon. And if I went to adults who were outside of my culture, they also didn't understand some of those nuances that I was experiencing. Um, this showed up especially you know during teenage years when you know I started developing romantic and sexual interests and it felt hard to know like where to turn for support. So that motivated a lot of my journey into therapy and, and working with South Asian folks.
0: for me. $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code seeing other people. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code seeing other people. That's Nutrafol.com promo code seeing other people. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. When I first started seeing other people, some of my closest friends and family could not believe it. Not because they didn't think I was capable of being a podcast host, but because I usually can't get through a sentence without sniffling. And during allergy season, forget about it. My seasonal allergies are debilitating and my sinus congestion and pressure has always left me feeling so sick. But luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin-D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, in therapy sessions. They looked and looked for bracelets that could serve as reminders to interrupt that spiral, but they couldn't find anything besides the cheesy good vibes only and no bad days types of messaging. They started presently to bring more authenticity to self help anxiety management. And as someone who has had a presently bracelet for three years, I mean it when I say it really makes a difference. So, whether you need encouragement to make it onto that date that you've been anxious about, a calming mantra to get you through a big day at work, or simply a reminder that you're not alone, presently has your back. Their bracelets are so beautiful and elevated, and they also make amazing gifts. And I know because I have gifted a few over the years, and my friends were so excited to get one and have worn them ever since. There are six phrases to choose from. And if you're indecisive, there's a quiz that you can take to help you choose the perfect reminder for your anxiety. Plus, 5% of each bracelet is donated to your choice of four mental health nonprofits. I wholeheartedly love and support Presently, and I know that your Presently bracelet will bring you as much comfort as mine has brought me. So head to Presently Bracelets.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-L-Y Bracelets.com for 10% off your order using code SEEINGOTHERPEOPLE. Did you have other like friends, peers, your age who were South Asian at the time like in your childhood, or were you in a community where you were kind of on your own?
1: It's a good question. So I grew up in a community that was predominantly Hispanic. Um, so if, like on my day to day, when I went to school, it didn't feel like there were individuals who could really understand my experience. Um, on the weekends. So I also identify as Muslim and I would go for mosque classes and attend events um, where there were people who shared a similar culture and religious background as me. But I think for me personally, because I grew up outside of that community, I grew up in a place that was like an hour and a half away from everyone else. It was a lot more difficult for me to develop relationships with people who had that shared cultural experience. And so from a peer level, it, it also felt pretty isolated. And I think there was also that fear that if I share something and it gets out, then it may end up being a negative reflection on my family and You know, really upholding your family's respect and honor is a big part of the South Asian culture. So I always had this kind of internalized fear that anything that I say to someone from my own culture could be a poor reflection on my family.
0: That's a lot to hold on your shoulders as a child. Yeah, it was it was hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine. Um, okay, so I know you also specialize in eating disorders and body image, which is another reason I'm super excited to have you here. These are topics that come up all the time when it comes to navigating modern dating mm-hmm. and relationships and obviously our mental health. How did you become interested in that? Like what brought you to want to study that and, and kind of combine the two?
1: So a lot of that was tied into the multicultural experience that I had, both growing up in my community, but then spending weekends um, predominantly at my mosque. So I saw that in high school, a lot of my Caucasian friends and peers were starting to get diagnosed with mental health problems, with eating disorders, and getting support. Whereas my non white peers, both at school and within the mosque, who are also struggling with their relationships with food and with their body, um, weren't getting that same level of support. And it felt like part of that was due to, you know, cultural stigma, um, as well as there being a lack of understanding around like the cultural nuances surrounding food and body that I think made it more difficult for people to realize that these individuals were also struggling and in need of help. And so for me, a lot of the motivation was I wanted, I wanted to be a provider who could understand that for people who had shared identities.
0: Yeah. Is that like you mentioned before, you know, not wanting to do anything that would like put shame on your family. Like, would that be something that if that got out that, you know, you had a, an eating disorder, were getting help for that. Like, is that something that would embarrass the family? I
1: think for a lot of people, it, it can, right? There's this idea in South Asian culture that you are a reflection of your family. So anything you do is, a, is representative of them. And so oftentimes I see that when people are struggling with any kind of mental health problem. Um, Oftentimes, families want to kind of bury it under the rug because they're afraid of what kind of reflection it's going to have on on them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's why I ask because I've seen that happen even with like friends of mine throughout Mm -hmm. my life, where like everybody doesn't want it to get out, and you know, it's kept a secret even from some people within the family. And absolutely, I imagine just having that extra like cultural layer on top of it just adds so much more to that.
1: Yeah. And I think what it also does is it fuels a sense of shame. Yeah. Right. That that your struggle is something that's shameful and fuels the secrecy. And eating disorders often thrive in this idea of secrecy. So it can be really detrimental to someone who's already struggling.
0: Yeah. Who wants to just, you know, work towards recovery, but also not have to have that shame for who they are and, and what's happened to them. Um Speaking of shame and secrecy, so one of the big things that I'm looking forward to discussing is the shame and secrecy around dating in South Asian Mm -hmm. culture. Because when we first chatted a little while back, um, you mentioned that there's this idea of like, when you're a child teenager, like you're not allowed to date. And then suddenly, you're expected to get married. And Mm -hmm. that's just such a mind blowing concept. Because how do you get from that? Like, how do you get from Step one to step two there, <laughs> so like, where does this idea come from? Where, like, what's going on with all of this?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of different kind of elements to break down here. So feel free yeah. to stop me along the way <laughs> and ask questions. But you know, in a lot of South Asian subcultures, it's frowned upon to date. So when parents find out that their kids are dating, they might say things like "look, <laughs> yanking." which in Hindi means, what will people say? And there's different versions of this in different South Asian um, languages as well. Um, And so because there's, like I said earlier, so much focus on your actions being a representative of your family, parents are often afraid that, you know, people are gonna gossip about you. Um, It's gonna be a poor reflection on the family. And so then a lot of people end up dating in secrecy. Right, so you won't post about it on social media. You might make up stories about what you're, who you're hanging out with, and what you're doing, um, and which can lead to a lot of deceitful behavior. Right, so that you can spend time with your partner, and this can lead to feelings of guilt. Um, it can lead to feelings of lack of safety because you also don't have trusted adults to talk to about your relationship. Um, there can also be this feeling of living a double life, right? Because part of your life involves your partner, the other part of your life doesn't. Um, And so when we think about this from the lens of eating disorders, right, sometimes eating disorders develop as a way to kind of navigate stress, shame, guilt. um, And that can really come up in in this context if it feels like you're living a double life um, and trying to contend contend between living for yourself versus living according to other people's expectations. Um, And I think, you know, the part around like, okay, so I'm not allowed to date, but then when I'm in my 20s, I'm supposed to to get married. Um, It's a very challenging expectation. Right? Because your parents will, for the longest time, not want you to be in any kind of romantic relationship, may frown down upon you talking to others who could be potential romantic interests. And then all of a sudden, they're like, okay, when are you getting married? When are when are you having babies? And you haven't had a chance to perhaps explore like, what does a partnership even look like to you? What's important to you and someone that you want to spend your life with? And so- right. I think this then puts a lot of pressure on people to not only begin to have romantic partnership, but also like to figure out what they want in someone and what they want their life to look like at a time where they're very much still going through a lot of psychosocial and biological development right in your 20s like our brains aren't even fully matured until we're 25 26 i was (laughs) just
0: about to say that that was literally about to come out of my mouth yeah yeah is (laughs) is there in south asian culture is like is matchmaking a thing like are the parents or the families involved in setting their children up or is it like well now suddenly you have to go find your spouse like go find them
1: so there's a lot of matchmaking that's still involved. I think historically arranged marriages were really common. I think in present day, it's more like semi-arranged where um, family members may be like, okay, like these might be potential good partners for you. Why don't you meet them? And then decide. So there is a little bit more, I think, autonomy now than there were in, in previous generations. Um and I think for some people, that works really well. I think for others, what can be hard is if you're constantly living under this shell of trying to make choices that you feel like are what's going to best represent your family, your parents might not necessarily know like who you are and what's really important to you because they're seeing the version of you you're putting out. And so yeah. that's where that matchmaking might not be as helpful for someone.
0: I feel like the show Never Have I Ever does a really good job of showing this. Like everything you're saying, it's reminding mm-hmm. me of what's her, her Davy, I think is her name? Yeah. yeah. It's reminding me of that where like she ha- she's not allowed to like date or go out or do these things, but she's doing them anyway and like rebelling and then she like feels guilty for doing it. But then, exactly. you know, the par- like the mom finds out and like... It's hard for her, but she does want to be supportive, but like doesn't really know who her daughter is. Yeah, like it's all of that.
1: Exactly, because there are these pieces that she might not have felt were safe to share about herself with her mom because of yeah. those underlying cultural expectations. And so I think what's really nice that we get to see in the show is that the mom does get to see elements of her daughter and begin to truly understand who she is and, and what she's experiencing. And when that happens, I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think we have to realize that not everyone is afforded that opportunity.
0: Yeah, I definitely cried at multiple times when the mom like (laughs) is showing up for her. (laughs) Because it really is like, you want her, you're rooting for her the whole time. Sometimes they make it hard for you to root for her because Mm -hmm. of some of the decisions that she makes. But like, just seeing at the end of the day, like she's been so afraid of, like you said, like embarrassing her family, but like her mom just wants her to be happy in the end. And it is cool to see the contrast also with what Davy goes through versus her older sister, who is probably sticking with like the more traditional route Mm -hmm. of things in her relationships. Yeah. 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 How much harder does it get for somebody to maybe, you know, stick with these more traditional Ways of doing these things when they're surrounded by different cultures and fewer, you know, South Asians or, or people who also understand and they're kind of just like thrown into, you know, a predominantly white, like mm-hmm. community.
1: It can be so hard um, because that brings up the added layers of like intercultural and interreligious dating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think oftentimes when people immigrate to new lands, there's this desire to hold on to the culture and the customs and the traditions of your homeland because you no longer have access to those. Right. And so, you know, for um, for people who are children of immigrants, they might experience their parents not really being that supportive of them you know, adopting more Western culture because they want their kids to hold on to, to that home culture. Um, and so that might then also contribute to their children hiding relationships, hiding facets of, of their life. Um, and then when you add in kind of the layers of of culture and religion, so in, in a lot of South Asian cultures, and this may not be every subculture, but there's a lot of um, gender dynamics that play into relationships. Um, and so oftentimes, parents are more open to the idea of a male-identifying child, um, you know, perhaps dating someone who's outside of the culture or outside of their religion, um, and they might be less open to that if it's a female-identifying daughter. And the reason is because in a lot of South Asian cultures, the idea is that if a girl gets married, she now belongs to the to the family of her traditionally, what would be her husband. And so the idea is that she's then expected to adopt the, the customs and the culture and the practices of the spouse's family. And so if a daughter is identified is now dating someone who is not South Asian, doesn't have the same religion, parents often become really fearful that
0: the culture is going to get washed out. Raise your hand if you have dating anxiety. All right. All right. I know that everyone has their hands up and I get it. for 20% off your order. That's code SOP for 20% off. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? My episode of dateable season 15 episode 10 is it chemistry or anxiety guys this podcast is incredibly relatable insightful and oftentimes hilarious wherever you start dateable will help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you you can subscribe and listen to episodes on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts every wednesday and sunday so check out dateable and thank me later but in a way if the person that their daughter is dating. It- has different cultural beliefs that other family might not believe. Like, well, she's now ours.
1: Mm-hmm. I that's
0: agree. That's confusing. Yeah,
1: that is really confusing, right? But but parents are often operating from their own cultural yeah. ideas, right? And they might yeah. not consciously realize that that's why they're seeing it in this way.
0: Yeah, I, in a way, I relate to this, I think on a much lesser scale, but I'm Jewish, and I come from a predominantly Jewish community. And I was raised, you know, being told that it would break my parents heart if I ended up with somebody who wasn't Jewish. And Mm -hmm. for me, that, like, I, I love the traditional aspects of Judaism. I love, you know, spending time with my family around different holidays. I'm not a very religious person. So for me, on one hand, like, yes, I do feel very connected to other Jewish people, but I felt my whole, or at least like, while I've been dating for probably the past 10 years, like this extra added weight of like, well, what if I meet somebody who isn't Jewish? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't really want to break my parents' heart, but if I meet somebody who I love, like, wouldn't they be happy for me to have found that? But I guess not. It's like been this kind of confusing thing to navigate where Ultimately, I would prefer to find somebody Jewish, but I don't want to close myself off to the rest of the population.
1: Yeah. And and that makes absolute sense, right? Because oftentimes what we fall in love with, what we love about other people are more to do with their characteristics, their personality- Right, not their religion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think things like culture and religious practices can impact of alignment on like your day-to-day practices and the way that you view certain things but it doesn't necessarily change like your personality and what you bring out in someone else
0: yeah so okay going back to what we were talking about before with you know you enter your 20s and suddenly Mm -hmm. you're expected to get married for someone who is kind of struggling with that or doesn't feel ready or you know wants to take time and date how can they approach this or try and explain this to their family?
1: Mm -hmm. So I think what can be helpful is talking to your family from a place of love and understanding. So oftentimes in the cultures that our parents grew up, um, a woman's life in particular was often focused on marriage and childbearing because they might not have been allowed to pursue something like a career and education. AKA things outside of the home. Um, Because of this, there used to often be, and and often still is this fear that, you know, if my daughter doesn't get married, who's going to provide for her, right? Like, because parents aren't going to be around forever. And so there can be this urge in, in family members to get especially a daughter married sooner rather than later, which then also puts pressure on, the families of people who identify as male because there are all these individuals who are wanting to get their daughters married. Right. And this doesn't even take into account, you know, talking about non-binary relationships or, right. or any of that, because this is a very, um, the lens that we're looking at it right now is a very heteronormative lens that often exists with South Asian cultures. Um, but yeah, so one I think that's what's fueling a lot of these expectations, right? Because if the child gets married, the parents are going to feel content and happy because they no longer have to worry about that child's livelihood and financial security. And so one thing that can be helpful is if you can remind your parents that one of the reasons that they may have decided to, or their parents may have decided to immigrate to a new land was to afford you opportunities that they didn't have. And one of those opportunities is to define yourself in ways that they didn't have access to, a.k.a. outside of a relationship. And so you have now you have the opportunity to earn money for yourself, support yourself. And that means that marriage doesn't really have to be the end goal anymore in the way that it might have been in the past.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, taking that point of like why they came here and why they wanted you to, to be raised here and saying like, well, I can do more and I have Mm -hmm. these goals and these dreams. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to get married. It just means that maybe in a few years, or maybe Mm -hmm. when I find the right person, but I'm not going to just rush into it. Exactly. Yeah. In your personal experience, is there anything like any way you kind of navigated the situation that you particularly felt really good about, or would you have wanted to do differently in hindsight?
1: I think something that was really helpful for me was creating space for self-exploration, right? So when I was 18, I went away to college. I was originally from Illinois. I went to school in Pennsylvania. And that really gave me physical space to be able to understand, like, who am I? What do I enjoy in other people? Like not just in a romantic context, but just out of relationships. What's important to me? What are my values? Um, And it allowed me to do that in a way where I wasn't constantly fearful of how is this going to reflect on my family? Because I was no longer around the community that my parents were a part of. And I know some people might see that as like, oh, well, that's escaping. That's running away. But I think really what it was, was like saying, okay, I'm going to carve out some space for me. And I want to come back to my family. I want to be a part of my community. But to do that in a way that feels good to me, that feels authentic to me, I need to know who I really am first. And so I know not everyone may want to move away from home, may not have the opportunity to do that. But I think there can be smaller ways in which we can create that space for self-exploration, right? Whether that's journaling, maybe um, carving out some time where, like, you can truly just be alone, right? So one of the things could be, like, waking up early in the morning before anyone else is awake. So you can, like, have an hour to yourself to just be and, like, think about yourself can be really helpful.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, that reminds me of – living with my parents during COVID and Mm -hmm. just feeling like I was always like everything I did, I was just being watched or like was never actually on my own. And I remember like there were a few times I would just take walks to the bottom of my driveway so I could like dance around to a song like Mm -hmm. for five minutes, just because it gave me the sense of like freedom and independence.
1: Sit in your car for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Right. Like find little ways where like it can just be you.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I love that you did that, by the way. <laughs> it was honestly like the best part. Like I remember it so vividly and I remember some of the songs too. And it just like, I needed it. It was mm-hmm. the biggest release ever. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can't be at a concert. I can't be with friends. I can't go do anything, but I can walk to the bottom of my driveway, blast music in my headphones and dance.
1: There you go. And car-
0: cars can go by and see me. I don't care. <laughs>
1: I think showering can be another one of those like ways that we can take space for ourselves, right? Take a bath, take an extra long shower so you can just have a little bit of time for yourself.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I think it it is so important to your point of just, you know, finding some aspect of freedom or or independence in order to explore who Mm -hmm. you are. Cause I think for so many of us, we don't get to really figure that out for a very long time, truly like on our own. Yeah.
1: And I think that's where social media has had such an interesting impact because for people who maybe don't have the freedom to do that in a physical capacity, right? Like maybe they're not allowed to travel or go out as much as they would like to do this exploration. Social media offers an opportunity to read different things, hear different perspectives to really see like what resonates with you.
0: Yeah, and to learn about different types of people and cultures and, you know, different ways people have embraced their culture or, you know, kind of steered away from it. So I think that is a really good point. Yeah. So speaking of freedom, um, when we spoke, you mentioned this idea of marriage as freedom. Mm-hmm. Can you go into that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So for many people, especially those who... Um, identify as female in the South Asian culture, Um, we'll often hear parents say things like, you can do whatever you want when you're married, but as long as you're under my roof, it's it's my rules, right? So once you're married, you can eat what you want, you can wear what you want, you can do what you want when you want. Um, And so I think statements like this imply that marriage is the path to freedom. It's how you get out of being controlled and being caged in. And so I think a lot of people who identify as South Asian then pursue marriage as a way to gain that freedom from parental rules, um, which can lead to less thoughtfulness about picking a partner because you might be in this hurry to find a partner rather than finding the partner that's right for you. Um, And I think marriage can offer some sense of that freedom, right? But it might not be a long-term solution. Um, so sometimes people go into marriages and feel like they're still bound by rules. In South Asian culture, when you marry someone, um, you don't just marry them, you marry their whole family. Family. And so oftentimes it can feel like, you know, your in-laws have a lot of say in, in your life. Um, it can feel like your partner has a lot of say in your life, which can lead to that feeling of continuing to kind of be. Caged in and controlled, and that can actually contribute to um, developing an eating disorder or disordered eating when you're looking for control because you don't have it in in other areas of your life.
0: Did you watch Love is Blind? I did. (laughs) Okay. So don't worry, no spoilers here, but I think this is such an interesting example of you know, you marry me, you marry my family because we have, we did see that. I mean, Mm -hmm. this season in particular, but in in every season on uh, this show where you're meeting, it's two people who literally just met and are now getting Mm -hmm. married and the families do get involved rather quickly. And there are different cultures and different family dynamics at play. And it is so interesting to see how the parents in particular are reacting and If they're embracing this new person, if they're like accepting of the situation or if they're like completely shutting them down. And there were some people who were like, this is not how we do things. Like I'm not coming to this wedding. And there were other people who was like, who were like, well, this person needs to embrace our culture and all Mm -hmm. of the things that we do if they're going to be a part of this family. Um, There was one couple where even, you know, the mom and the sister of the groom said to the the bride like you can't do anything to embarrass our family you need to know that when you're walking around you're a representation of us right now and mm-hmm. seeing her face like her reaction to that was like what the fuck yeah. and that was so interesting to see and just to learn from like how different cultures actually are and how some people like are so down for that and others are so not.
1: Yeah. And it can place a lot of pressure on the person who's marrying into a family because you're navigating a new marriage, right? Even if you've been with someone and dating them, being married to them can look different, right? Then you're navigating like all these new family dynamics, how the rest of the world is now looking at you, And it can feel like so much pressure to feel like you are carrying all this weight of like what everyone else thinks. And it can be easy to kind of lose yourself in that process.
0: Yeah. And there's also a big learning curve. You know, you might want to make it work so badly and be so okay with, you know, joining this other person's family and representing them and immersing yourself in their culture, their religion, but it still takes time and Mm -hmm. a lot of effort and energy. And you're probably going to make mistakes along the way Mm -hmm. and not, you're not going to know everything for a very long time. And I think that like, it's almost like the expectation is that you'll snap your fingers and just get it.
1: Exactly. And it can be so much harder, especially like if the family dynamics and the family's like individual culture is different from the one that you grew up in, right? Even yeah. if you're from the same culture, there can still be nuances within each family. What one family considers respectful, another family might consider really disrespectful. And the only way that you can learn some of that is by by doing. And it can be hard to to kind of feel the repercussions of that.
0: Totally. I've even seen that, you know, amongst people I know where one person, their family grew up like helping clear the table every night and you know, sitting at the table for like an hour after a meal just chatting and and the other one like won't like doesn't lift a finger. And mm-hmm. it, you see how that clashes. And it's not to say that the person who doesn't lift a finger is rude. It's just not the way they were raised. It's just different. It's just different. And that's like one of the hardest things about dating and relationships kind of, you know, what you said in the beginning, like it's so hard, but then there are so many nuances that make it even more difficult.
1: And the thing is that you often don't know that these nuances exist until you see the differences arise, right? It's not like, I think it's really hard to when you're like going on a date with someone and asking them like, okay, do you, how all like, clean up the table together or not. You know, like you don't right. always know what do I ask for until you see that like, oh wait, that's that's different. Um, and I think that's the thing about relationships is like we're always learning new pieces of information about each other, about each other's experiences, families, etc
0: Yeah. And it's like, oh, you don't sit down in a first date and say, So what are your family dynamics? And <laughs> It's also on the flip side of that. Like the other person might not realize that what they do and what they've always done and always known is different from what other people do because all we know say it to you right. Like to a certain extent, what we know is our experience,
1: Mm -hmm. and so
0: we might not even realize that something that is so second nature to us could be so unfamiliar and foreign to somebody else.
1: Exactly, and I think especially if you're looking at like. Intercultural or interreligious relationships, that's even more heightened.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, you mentioned that, you know, in seeking this desire of freedom and of, you know, self expression, that's where it can kind of get tricky with people developing possibly an eating disorder or a negative relationship with food. How does, I want to talk more about the intersection between food and like body image and relationships, obviously in South Asian culture, but in general as well?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let me think where, where to start. So I think the first thing is that, you know, I think in a lot of cultures, there can be expectations about like what the ideal body is. Um, and so in, in South Asian culture specifically, oftentimes you'll hear people say that you need to look good for a potential partner and for their family right? Because you're not just marrying the person, but also marrying their family um, to be a good candidate for marriage. And so a a lot of this goes back um, to what we talked about earlier of like parents wanting to set up their kids to be able to get married because not all children had the opportunity to get educated, to work, et cetera, right? So they're like, okay, well, if you can't do that, then what you can do is you can control your looks. You can Be the ideal, like perfect looking spouse for for a person in their family. Um, And so this can mean being thin. Um, So families will often like recommend that their child go on a diet to lose weight. There's a lot of um, fear surrounding diabetes in South Asian culture. Um, Historically, there's higher rates of diabetes in South Asian identifying people than people of other races. Um, and so you'll specifically hear people to say things like cut down on your, cut down on your sweets, um, eat less carbs because South Asian diets tend to be a little bit more carb heavy as well. And so this can really, um, bring up a restrictive mindset, bring up diet culture, which can, um, predispose somebody to, um, develop an eating disorder. And then I think the second thing that ties into this is skin color, um, so historically, having lighter skin has been equated with being more valuable in South Asian culture. And historically, this is really tied to colonialism, because when the British invaded, um, in, invaded South Asian territories, um, the hierarchy was kind of seen as like the British, who were white, were seen as elite. And they didn't do any field work or farm work. So their skin was also lighter. And so, if you're someone who has darker skin, it's often equated with being of a lower socioeconomic status because it means that your ancestors were probably the ones who were working out in the fields in the hot sun. Um, and so, you know, having lighter skin is seen as being more valuable. And so, people are often told, like, okay, stay out of the sun so you don't get dark, um, use fair and lovely products to try to lighten your skin. Um, hair removal like off of your body is another thing because it can make your skin pigmentation look lighter. Um, but skin color is really hard to control. And so when people can't control that, they then sometimes turn to things like dieting and restricting as a way to, to try to yeah. control what they think they can control about their bodies.
0: Yeah, I hear about that a lot, you know, if somebody is in a really difficult time or a bad relationship or they're struggling in school or something's going on with their family, it's like they're so much out of their control Mm -hmm. and what is in their control is what they consume. And I do hear often that like that is a major source of like eating disorder development.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of these things can also impact self-esteem right? When it feels like you don't have control over your environment, or if the messages you're getting is that your body should be different, or your grades should be better, or that should be better. um, It can lead to feeling like you're not good enough. Um, And I think that can also make emotional and physical intimacy really difficult when you're when you are pursuing a relationship.
0: I imagine also, you know, anyone who is of South Asian culture, who, or anyone who is South Asian, being in a community that's not predominantly South Asian, that could also make it so confusing in terms of like, well, what should I look like? Because Mm -hmm. if everybody thinks that there's something different equals attractive or equals perfect, whatever it may be, like, how do you navigate that? You know, I, I watched an interview recently. I, I forget who it was with, but it was somebody who someone like a white girl and someone I think who was from somewhere in Asia. And she was saying it's like, yeah, like people are getting plastic surgery to make their lips smaller there. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. people here are getting plastic surgery to make their lips bigger.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And. What you said actually reminds me again of, of Love is Blind. So there was um, Zainab and Cole were one of the co- the yeah. couples, right? And so Zainab is- I don't know a- how,
0: I don't know what ends with them. I'm not at their wedding yet. So don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will
1: not spoil the ending. Okay, but it, <laughs> I think what I'm about to say is like, yeah things that show up i know i know
0: what you're gonna say okay (laughs) keep going (laughs) um
1: so xenob is is pakistani and grew up predominantly surrounded by caucasian people um and in her relationship with cole who is also white um i think there's a lot that comes up around like is he gonna be attracted to her right? Because she looks different from the people that he has historically dated. Her skin color is different. There's, there's so many things about her that are different. And I think that brings up a lot of the internalized colonialism, right? That she's experienced that other people in her life have experienced that then also contributes to her, her difficulty with self-esteem and then overall impacts their both emotional and, and physical intimacy in that relationship.
0: Yeah. There's one thing that, I'm so glad you brought this example up. There's one thing that he said that I remember. It made me feel like he does, he he did want it to work, but he was like, I proposed to a girl named Zenob. Like, did, I didn't think you were going to be like white and blonde, you Mm -hmm. know, but I think you can want it to work with somebody and you can want yourself to be attracted to somebody. But if it's something that if they look different than what you've been used to your entire life, that might be hard. Like there might be that wall that you just can't break down no matter mm-hmm. how badly you want to.
1: Right. And I think also for the person who identifies as being a BIPOC person, it can be really hard because the um, images that you've predominantly seen are also of people yeah. who don't look like you, right? So it can send this message of like, I don't belong. I don't have a am like inferior.
0: yeah yeah Yeah, that's so difficult what so like what can someone do you know to try and combat these feelings and to try and and learn to be confident in in who they are and the body that they have the skin color that they have
1: yeah I think the the first thing is to start unpacking a lot of these shits, right a lot of these narratives that we've internalized about who we're supposed to be, what our bodies are supposed to be like, what a relationship is supposed to look like. Um, And in order to do any kind of that work, we have to first develop awareness and insight into what do we even believe about ourselves. Um, And so I think, one, working with a therapist or attending a support group can be really helpful. I think listening to podcasts like this, finding especially online spaces of community where you can kind of break a lot of these beliefs down and understand like what you're really internalizing and holding can be helpful. And I think there also has to be space for grieving because as you become aware of these internalized beliefs that you have, you may start to grieve the things that you wish you had um, or the things that you're going to lose, right? If you start to pursue change. Um, And so there has to be space for that as well and i think on another thing that can be really helpful is starting to surround yourself um with people with media etc that is representative of you um, you know following instagram accounts tiktok accounts where people look like you people come from similar cultural backgrounds there's so many facebook groups now um, there's a lot of community out there. It's just about being able to find it. So you feel that sense of support.
0: Yeah. I think that is so incredibly important. Like realizing that you have the power to consume what you want and not consume what you don't want to a certain extent. But Mm -hmm. if there are accounts that you follow or people that you follow that you see them post and it, for some reason, whatever reason that is makes you feel less than you can click that unfollow button nobody is forcing you (laughs) to keep watching their content you know it's and at the same time on the flip side of that like there might be so many people out there who do look exactly like you who have like similar characteristics similar passions similar hobbies similar cultures whatever it is like surround yourself with those people who will make you feel like you belong Mm-hmm. Or who will make you feel like, oh, I'm like them or they're like me. And, you know, they're somebody I admire and we're not that different.
1: Yeah. And I think when it comes to specifically, you know, this idea of like dating and relationships in um, in South Asian culture, two Facebook groups really come to mind. So there's one that's Subtle Curry Dating where a lot of people just talk about like their experiences, get support from other Facebook members, and you can post anonymously if you're concerned about other people knowing yeah. who, that this is happening for you. There's also Little Brown Diaries, um, where a lot of people also talk about relationships and marriage. And I think it's a great place to find support and and also to give support.
0: I love that. I will link those in the show notes so people can easily access them. That's awesome. Thank you for mentioning that. Okay. Of one last question for you. This is my yes. favorite question to ask. What is the best piece of dating or relationship advice you've ever received? Ooh. I know it's tough.
1: I was actually just thinking about this two weeks ago because one of my friends got married and asked me the same question. <laughs>
0: Wait, on that note, do you want to laugh? My like one of my best friends my entire life, um, we for her like bridal showery thing, we all wrote in like a piece of advice to her and her now husband. And her job was to read them and guess who wrote them. Oh, and it came time for the one that I wrote. She guessed every single person except for me because it was such good advice she couldn't believe that I wrote it. And I'm like, Wait, what was your advice? I do for a living. It was that um a relationship isn't 50-50, it's 100-100. And, that was and then literally I wrote a paragraph What I was going it. to say. Shut up. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally jumping out of my seat right now for those who can't see me. No way. And I have proof I wrote it in her wedding card. <laughs> Oh my God, no we'll compare notes. Wait, that is wild. Okay. It's so true. It, go ahead. Take the floor. Explain it.
1: Okay. So the idea is a lot of people no, think great. that Wait. relationships are about 50-50, right? That each person contributes equally. And another way of kind of looking at the idea of, of how people give and receive in partnerships is that relationships are not about things being split equally between partners, but Each individual bringing to the table 100% of what they can in any given moment. So day to day, that might look different, right? Year to year, that might look different. But the idea is that you are showing up as best as you can for the other person every single day. Um, And that has helped me immensely, even in my own relationship.
0: Yeah, I I really, it's the, one of the best pieces of advice is ever out there. And I think it's so true. And I think it also helps you realize if you're in a relationship where that person's not doing that and they're not even, they're not giving you 100%. They're not even giving you 50%. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's important. It's important to know if it's happening and it's just as important to know if it's not happening mm-hmm. because if you, to to be with somebody who's not able to give you that, It's not a relationship that you deserve more. You deserve more.
1: And I think that that piece of advice also invites in room for empathy and compassion because what 100% looks like for one person might look very different for another person. And so if we try to compare apples to apples when they're not even the same apples, it can lead to a lot of resentment, arguments, et cetera, that come up in a relationship.
0: Yeah, it's really important to figure out who you each are and what you each have to give and, and what feels right. And to recognize that to your point, like on many days, you might be not be able to give as much as you can on other days, but as long as you're doing what you can and they're doing what they can, like you, you lift each other up, you support each other. And, and that's how the world goes round. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for being here. This has been such an amazing and such an important discussion. Where can everybody find you? Or well, I mean, anything you want them to find? Any, yeah, all that.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Alana. It's been wonderful chatting with you. I think you have such wonderful questions and insights. Um, in terms of where to find me, so you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at um, your South Asian therapist. I'm also on TikTok. That's growing. Be patient with me. (laughs) And my website is fjshocker.com. So feel free to reach out on any of those platforms.
0: Perfect. Is TikTok also your South Asian therapist? Yes, it is. Perfect. We'll link that in the show notes. Fatima, again, thank you so, so much for being here. And to everyone who tuned in, thank you for listening. Please, please, please send this to a friend or a group chat that you think should hear it, share it on your story and tag us if you loved it. Give a five-star rating and review and love you guys so much. Thank you again. I will talk to you guys next time.
1: Mads, I'm obsessed with our brand pillars. You mean vagina sweat, good branding, and being Jewish-blooded queens, Scout? Uh, sure, but not quite. I love that OK podcast and our sisterhood is made up of women who are down for main character energy only, who take care of their mental health, and who are standing in their personal power as entrepreneurs. Oh
0: yeah, that too, Scout, that too. We should probably introduce ourselves. Hello everyone, I am Mads.
1: And I am Scout.
0: And we are sisters IRL.